chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Mark, um, Mark dedicates uh, most of his gospel to the deeds of Jesus, particularly uh, his miraculous deeds. Um, we, we see uh, Mark recording, has recorded miracles that Jesus did over demons. We saw that last week. Over nature, we saw that last week. But he also, and as we begin this morning, uh, much of his gospel is healing. Healing of diseases and sicknesses, and, and in fact, raising the dead. Uh, healing, these healing texts are very difficult for us. And typically what happens is, in terms of interpretation and application, we fall into... It seems to me two extremes. One extreme is the uh, is the name it claim it group that well uh, because Jesus healed this woman it means he wants to heal me or or to heal someone in my family. Um, that's one extreme. That, 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 that th- these are eternal unequivocal promises that God has made to us. And if that's the case, I don't know. No one would I guess would anybody ever die. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've often wanted to ask those televangelists that if, in fact, um, you know, it's all about faith, I guess everybody at some point doesn't exercise enough faith and they die. The, the other extreme, though, is to say, well, it was just for them and has nothing to do with us. Um, it's difficult to know what, how do I apply? As we're going to look here, for instance, when he raises a 12 year old girl from the dead. I don't know. Has anybody seen anybody raised from the dead lately? The last one, I think, was 2000. How, how, are, we to, how are we to take that? What are we supposed to do with that? Um, are, are, these, are these absolute guarantees? How are we supposed to apply them? These are very complicated issues. These are very complicated questions. And they really require a lot more time than what we have this morning. So what I'm, what I'm going to ask us to do is this. Um, I'm going to ask us to, to temporarily suspend um, questions like, well, what about, or what if. That, that, that we, we set those things aside, temporarily set those things aside, to look at the text itself um, and try to avoid one of those two extremes, that... that, that that these are not necessarily eternal guarantees. But on the other hand, neither are they just inspired history. Um, what can we gather? What can we glean from this text? And, and really from any text that we see in the scriptures as it relates to, to physical healing and, and certainly to the raising of dead, because we see that many times in the New Testament. Um, and, and really, what we're looking at this morning is what I, I simply entitled Taking Jesus at Faith Value. Taking, that's not a lisp. Taking Jesus at Faith Value. Verse 21, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. While he was by the lake, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. 
Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said, You see the people crowding against you and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw commotion with with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, arise. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. But he gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And told them to give her something to eat. We have a Markin sandwich this morning. If you remember, we talked about where uh, there's a story within a story. And this one uh, was probably not so much a literary device as, as a historical uh, an account um, of two people that we see who approached Jesus by faith, or they took Jesus at faith value. The first one was... Um, Beginning in verse 21 was a synagogue ruler named Jairus. Now, a synagogue ruler was not a priest. A synagogue ruler um, well, had, had temple duties or synagogue duties. Um, they, w- they would help set everything up. They, would, they were in charge of the meeting. Um, and so while they weren't, uh, certainly weren't a priest, they were very highly regarded. They, they had very high social status. Um, and, and we know his name. His name was... In fact, Jairus, and this is going to be important because of the next person we talk about. And he comes to Jesus, and I want you to notice his approach. What does he do? Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Now, Luke tells us 
gives us more information that this was his only daughter. So I want you to, I want you, those of us who have daughters, (laughs) or kids for that matter, I want you to imagine um, if you have a child who is dying. Um, We have um, a friend of my son's. They have, uh, they have a small infant. Um, has, Vicki, what is it? Do you remember? It's a nerve blastoma. Neuroblastoma. Just a, a small, small infant. And, and all of us can feel the, the pain and the fear and, and the, um, of, of the loss of a child, of, of an infant. But here was, here was someone who had his only daughter who was 12 years old. Um, and she was literally on her deathbed. She was dying. And he comes to Jesus and he says, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, undoubtedly, he has seen Jesus do this. If you remember last week, he was in, in, the, in the Capernaum area and he went across the lake. Remember, he went across the lake and, and he met the, the Gerasene demoniac. Well, he's come back across the, the lake, back to Capernaum. So in all likelihood, Jairus was the, uh, the synagogue ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum and was probably very much well aware of Jesus, what Jesus was, had been doing. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Would you please come and lay your hands on my daughter? Because she's dying. And I want you to notice Jesus' response. Jesus went with him. Now, now I want you to picture this scene. He somehow makes his way through the crowd and he asks Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And so now they're on their way. And I want you to put yourself in Jairus' place. What do you think Jairus is feeling right now? Probably some hope. Some, um, some encouragement. Jesus is on his way. His little girl is dying. And now for the first time that, that he, he sees some light, maybe light at the end of the tunnel. And what happens? All of a sudden they stop. Jesus stops. And we're introduced to the second person. Verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. Um, what are the differences do we see between this woman and Jairus? Well, the first difference is, do we know her name? This was a, a nameless woman who approached Jesus and, and notice what she did as well. What did she do as well? How did she approach him? She, she, what's that? Stealth. Stealth. Yeah. Jairus came right up to him, fell at his feet, and, and asked him, Would you come heal my daughter? This, this, this woman approached it differently. She was, stealth is a great way of saying it. She, she was, she snuck in through the crowd and, and, cause she, she thought and believed all I have to do is touch his garment. Actually, it probably would have just been a tassel. Touch the tassel and I'll be healed. Why do you think, 
Why do you think she did stealth? Why didn't she just approach Jesus and say, Jesus, can you heal me? Probably a number of reasons. Number one, we, we see her hermality, um, depending upon your translation, said she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Um, most commentators believe that this was some kind of <clears throat> um, um, illness or disease related to her, her, her menstrual um, periods. That, that, that it, it was continual profuse bleeding. If that's the case, and most believe that this was the case, she would have been unclean. She would not have been able to, to attend church. Uh, she would not be able to uh, go to parties. Uh, she would not be able to be around people. It'd be very, in fact, it would be very, very similar to a leper because of the cleanliness codes that, that they had. So she had to do it stealth because if she, in fact, was from this area, they certainly would have known, too, that she was unclean. And so here she is, and in her desperation, she... she uh, Sneaks her way through the crowd. I, I can imagine her maybe uh, crouching down and getting low. Um, but she comes to Jesus and, and just touches his cloak. And verse 28 says, Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, it's interesting that some try to make a lot out of this. They're saying, well, she really didn't have faith. What she had was superstition. And I don't know that I, I don't know that I go that far. Again, I think that here was a woman who, who recognized the, that, that there was something different about Jesus. And, and, and no doubt she had, in fact, from a distance perhaps, seen him powerfully heal others and thinking instead of asking him, all I want to do is just touch him and I'll be healed. Now, while all this is going on, Jesus stops. What do you think Jairus is doing now? Let's go. And Jesus stops. And this is interesting, this, this, this interchange. I want us to look at this. This interchange between Jesus and this woman. Um, verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. Remember, remember the sea? Immediately it was calmed. When Jesus healed, it was not, it was not this... Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm healed. I, I think I can see. Uh, it, it, was, it was immediate. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body something was different, that she had been freed from her suffering. And verse 30 is the only verse that we have anything closely related to this when it talks about Jesus. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. I think, I think we'd be making a mistake if, if we assign some kind of impersonal force that, that emanated from Jesus. I don't think that's the case. But, but there had to be something about the person of Jesus, something about his nature, that be, being the God-man, that in fact a woman by faith could merely touch him and be healed. Not superstitiously, not in some kind of uh, weird, strange... We're really not sure what this means, but that it, 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 something in his person was so powerful that the mere touch 
could heal, could instantly heal um, a, a progressive disease. And then he said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And what did the disciples say? The disciples, these, these guys, <clears throat> these guys are, are, are not the sharpest tacks in the box. What do they say? You've got to be kidding me. What, what do you mean? T- people are... Do you know what? Um, who was, I think I was talking to Blake. This was a couple of weeks ago. And Blake said, you know... Um, he said, uh, the disciples... He, he's been reading through Mark. Uh, Blake's watching. I, he, he, he said, you know, they, Jesus, they, they, Jesus said, okay... I think it's in beginning of chapter 8 or chapter 9. He goes, I have to... I, the Son of Man needs to go to Jerusalem to die. And they went, What? What does that mean? The Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem and die. I mean, th- these guys, they, they just didn't get it. In fact, they just didn't get it until after, really after until the resurrection. The dots came together. The dots were connected after the resurrection. These poor guys were constantly trying to figure out what was going on when they came to Jesus. What do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. They're pressing in around you. So no, there was a different kind of touch. And he kept looking, looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Now she does what? She falls at his feet. What did Jairus do? Fall at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Well, now why, why would Jesus require this? If he touched her, if, if she touched him, and she was healed, why stop? Why say, who touched me? He, he undoubtedly knew who it was. I think that, that, that this, whole, this whole delay here was to make sure she understood why and who it was that healed her. And to give her an opportunity to confess her faith. He knew. And with great courage... She finally, and she's trembling with fear because she's unclean. And probably the shame and, and the embarrassment. And she told him what he, she did. And listened to his words. Daughter, the only time he's, he uses that word with anyone. Incredible term of endearment. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Can you imagine... Those words to this suffering woman. What's Jairus doing? And what happens? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the daughter dies. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late. She's She's gone. And ignoring what they said, Jesus told the ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, I'm reading from the NIV this, this morning, and, and it's, it amazes me how much our English translations don't bring out more of the present imperative verbs. This is a present imperative. Um, it, 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 is, it is a command, and a present tense means ongoing, continuous. He, say, he said to him, keep believing. What is, 
see, that, that to me changes, the, 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 really adds to this meaning. It, it implies, what did he have before? He had faith. And then they came and they said, your daughter's dead. And, and what's, what would be the natural result, uh, reaction? To stop believing. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. Keep believing. Don't be afraid. All over the scriptures. Don't be afraid. Keep believing. So he takes Peter, James, and John with him and the, and the parents. And when he arrives, they have all this commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Um, it, was, it was really standard to hire professional mourners that would come. And, uh, and Jesus shows up and they're, they're wailing and they're mourning. And, um, and Jesus asks this great question. What's the fuss? Why the fuss? And he said, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they didn't come to know him? Can you imagine standing before him and you had laughed at him? And the, 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 the implication here is they mocked him. Yeah. That was a bad diagnosis, Jesus. You don't even, you can't even figure out when someone's asleep and when they're dead. He put them all out. And he takes the child's father and the mother and those three disciples and he went in and he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, this is Aramaic, which is what, that was the language they, they all spoke, by the way. It would have been Aramaic. Talitha kum. And so Mark, writing to a Gentile audience, translates that for us, meaning little girl, I say to you, get up. It's interesting, later on in, in, in the book, we see in the book of Acts, in Peter's ministry, when he raises a woman, he uses these very same words, although it's not Talitha, it's Tabitha. Tabitha kum, woman, arise. Um, he learned it from the best. And immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. You're her daddy. How you feeling now? <laughs> and Mark adds, parenthetically, she was 12 years old. Now, why do you think he's... Why in the world would that be important? He almost adds it... It almost seems like after the fact. Anybody else see the number 12 in here anywhere? Where else? Where did we see, where did we see the number 12? The lady had been suffering for 12 years, and now we have a daughter who's 12 years old. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think, Mark, this is just all a coincidence? It seems to me that, that this juxtaposition of this woman who had been suffering for 12 years and this little girl who was 12 years old, here was a woman who for 12 years in all rights, should have been dead. And I say should have doesn't mean that she deserved to be. I'm saying that because of her malady, probably should have been dead. And here's a 12-year-old girl who died but should have had life. And what does Jesus do? He heals both of them. He heals the woman who in all, in all respects should have been dead and gives her life. And takes this 12-year-old girl who died, who should have been living, 
and in fact gives her life too. They came to Jesus at faith value. And you think that, that, that the message would get out. But look with me at chapter 6, verse 1. We, we, we see those who did not come to Jesus at faith value. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. What was his hometown? Nazareth. Accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. I want you to notice the drastic, stark difference between the scene that we've just come from to this one now. He began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that even he does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do many miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at them. (laughs) He was amazed at their lack of faith. Uh, There is a place for evidence when it comes to the Christian faith and when it comes to evangelism and apologetics. But let me ask you a question. Who had the most evidence at who Jesus was other than his own family? Imagine, imagine growing up with Jesus in your home. Who had the most evidence of who Jesus was than Mary? And what did we see a couple weeks ago? She thought that something had gone wrong. What did they say? It sounds like when they were amazed, like they were, like they were impressed. It was, this was not that kind of amazement. Because look at what follows. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom in the beginning? That he does even miracles. Did they deny that he did miracles? No. They didn't deny his miracles. They're saying he does miracles. And then they said, isn't this the carpenter? Now this is interesting. This is the only time, this is the only place where Jesus is mentioned as being a carpenter. But this word really wasn't limited just to woodworking. This was a word that was, he was a, a general craftsman. He would have worked with, probably would have worked with stone and wood and um, wouldn't have been just limited just to making tables. Corey, he didn't have a shop maybe like yours, <clears throat> but um, probably close. But, but he, he was, it, it was kind of a, just a handyman. I, I think the, the closest equivalent would be Jesus was a handyman. He could come and he could, he could fix your woodwork or he could fix your plumbing. He was, he was, a, he was a handyman. He was, a, he was just a blue-collar worker. He wasn't an attorney. <laughs> he, 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 see, he, he was a blue-collar worker. He lacked proper credentials. He'd never been to school. He didn't get his master's. And even worse, they said, isn't this Mary's son? And why is that significant? 
Because in Jesus' day, someone was always referred to by their father's name. The, the Hebrew, it's Aramaic, but it's Bar. Bar means son. So Simon Bar Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. So everyone was called by the name of their father, unless they didn't know who the father was. Perhaps what's going on here is, is somewhat of a stigma that maybe Jesus still carried with him. Some say, well, they said Mary's son because Joseph at this time was dead. We don't know that. But it's interesting to me that remember when Jesus faced off the Pharisees at one time? And they said, we are not illegitimate children. See, I, th- I think the fact is that all of Jesus' life, he carried with him this stigma of illegitimacy. I mean, you know, the, the, the 16-year-old that, that comes to your parents and says, Mom and Dad, I'm pregnant. Um, but I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. They, they, they took offense at him. He lacked proper credentials. He, he was a blue-collar worker. He, he had a suspect background. And notice the difference in how they approached Jesus. And how Jairus and the woman approached Jesus. And I want you to look at, look at the differences in results. Jesus said, you know what, only in his hometown. He, he creates a new proverb. Only his hometown and his relatives is a prophet without honor. Verse 5, probably the most uh, scary words you could read. He could not do any miracles there. Now when it says he could not, it doesn't mean that he... He, he, was limit, he couldn't literally physically do it. The, the could not there was, in fact, would not. In fact, Matthew uses the phrase would not do any miracles. He would not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And I love how, this, how, how Mark um, bookends this. How did this text, verses 1 through 6, start? It started by them being amazed at him, amazed at his lack of credentials, and offended by his, uh, his blue-collar worker, and he's, uh, this, this shady past. They were amazed. And Mark wraps it up by saying, No, it's Jesus who is amazed at your lack of faith. And in fact... This is what the disciples will soon face, beginning in verse 7 throughout the rest of the Gospel. Alright, we suspended our what-ifs and what-abouts. What, what, what do we do with this? With, with a woman who has been subject to, was subject to bleeding for 12 years, we, we know in our day um, uh, people who, who suffer greatly and are never healed. It, are we saying that they didn't have enough faith? <clears throat> I, I remember years ago, when I first got involved in ministry, I was involved in a church. I was on staff at a church in Albuquerque. And, and this is the time... In fact, she's, she's local here. Marilyn Hickey was a prominent teacher 
and and she was having a tremendous for some reason had a tremendous amount of influence on on some of the staff members on in the church where I was where I was serving. And uh, and and obviously she's word faith teacher, you know that that words are a force, or words are containers of a force, and you speak the right words, you can create reality. And one of the staff members' wife got cancer, and several of the other staff members said, "Well, all she has to do, you just she has to pray in faith, and God will heal her." Well, she died of cancer. And it, and it literally ripped the staff apart. Because these staff members said, well, she didn't have enough faith. The reason she died of cancer was she didn't have enough faith. Can you imagine actually saying that to somebody? Is that, is that, what, we're, is that what we take from this? This woman, this woman came to Jesus by faith. In fact, what did Jesus say? Your faith has healed you. So is that what we take from this? That if, if you don't get healed, you didn't have enough faith? On the other hand, do we say, man, that would have been nice to live back then. That's when folks really got healed. Let me suggest to you a couple things, or, or to us. Um, faith is real, and faith is necessary. You see... We want to certainly avoid the, the word faith, the, 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 that if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. On the other hand, we also want to avoid, well, I'm sick, I'm going to die. I think we can apply it. I think we can apply it to this whole coronavirus thing. Now, do we have faith? Now, obviously, um, there are extremes. We don't say, I don't jump out of an airplane... I'm not going to go flying with Mitch and say, "Hey, Mitch, I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to trust the I'm going to jump out of your airplane, and I I don't have a parachute. I wouldn't even jump out without a parachute. In fact, it's all you can do to get me to go up in one. We need to go more. I need to overcome my fear of that. Agreed. <clears throat> Agreed. <laughs> no, if I jumped out of the airplane, so I, I'm just trusting God. We're not talking about presumption. But on the one hand, we don't want to say, you know, you know. Uh, Command and you have enough faith, or God will heal you. But on the other hand, faith is important and it's necessary. I would I would say to us also, going to Jesus by faith should be our first resort, not our last resort. What was it this this woman? I mean, I, I was going to make a comment about an HMO, but I decided not to because that's so over overused. She, she, had a, she had a physician. They tried everything. Now, the question is, were these guys quacks? Or, or were, were these legitimate? You know, were they just took her money that she spent everything she had? Were these quacks that took advantage of her? You know, was she doing the... the uh, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe, you know, doing the oil, the aromas there. I don't know. She should have gone to Jamie. Jamie, you could have... <laughs> Let me tell you something, though, about Jamie. Seriously. I had... This is an aside. This, this commercial... This is an infomercial. I had knots on my... Continually, I had knots on my back since I could remember. And finally, Vicky said, Jamie, you need to go see Jamie. And I, I went and saw Jamie. 
And she gave me some exercises. I don't know what to call them, exercises. What was that, probably 10 years ago? I don't know. I haven't had them, not in my back since. That's when I was driving a bus. And uh, so, see Jamie if you have What's that? Well, maybe that's it, yeah. Where was I going? This woman had tried everything. And Jesus was her last resort. And I think faith is necessary. Faith is important and should be our first resort. Not our last resort. No, on the one hand, we don't want to put ourselves in a situation saying, Boy, I hope I have enough faith. If I only have enough faith, then I'll get what, I'll get, I'll get what I'm asking for. Or, or Jesus, Jesus will, will bless me or Jesus will do what I need. Because what does Jesus say elsewhere to his disciples? He says, if your faith is like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved and thrown into the sea. It's not the size of your faith that, that counts. It's the fact that we come to him by faith. So we don't want to come to him and say, boy, I hope I have enough faith. Neither do we come to him saying, I really don't think he's, I, I really don't think he's going to do this. But I'm going to pray. I don't think that we can expect him to do anything when we approach him that way. Now, sometimes he may do it even in spite of our lack of faith. But the lack of faith is not unbelief. Go to Jesus by faith should be our first resort, not our last resort. Number two, delay is not necessarily denial. Um, because he delays doesn't necessarily mean that he is denied. How long had this woman been suffering? Now, she had not been, there's no indication she'd been praying for 12 years, but she'd been sick for 12 years. And Jesus healed her. Even more so to Jairus. What did Jesus do? Jesus delayed. And what happened? His daughter died. Jesus said no. No, he didn't say no. It, it, was, it, was, it was a mere delay. Now the question he asks is, how do I know? He, he says to us, don't be afraid, keep believing. How do I know if it's denial or if it's just delay? We don't until one of two things happens. Here, here's my the, the recommendation a pastor gave me. Well, that same church in Albuquerque. He said, number one, until he gives you what you want, until he gives you what you're asking for, or until he changes your heart. Delay is not necessarily denial. And faith is foremost. See, we can't... On the one hand, we, we, we can't take these faith passages about healing and apply them directly across the board and say, well, because he healed this woman, he's going to heal me. Or because he healed this woman, um, he's going to heal my, my, my mother or my father or... On the other hand, we can't approach it and say, well, he did it then, but he won't do it now. We, we, we must avoid these two extremes. I, I think the text would tell us that Jesus stands willing and ready to help those who come to him at faith value. Who will come to him, as we saw, with humble, submissive, they fell at his feet. Humble, submissive, but I add audacious faith. And this is what convicted me. I think I can get the humble thing. I submit myself. But am I willing to have audacious faith? These two people, this woman and this man, had audacious faith. Can you imagine the risk? Would you heal my daughter who's dying? 
It's unre- it was unrestrained. It was uninhibited. Jesus stands willing and ready to respond to those who come to Him with humble, submissive, but audacious faith. Who understand that faith is foremost. Who understand that it's our first resort. And who understand that the de- de- delay is not necessarily a denial. Come to Jesus at faith value. Let's pray. Father, these were real people living in real times, not terribly unlike ours. They were marrying and having children. And Father, uh, before I forget, I do want to pray for Justin and Leah's little girl. Father, we come to you by faith. And ask you to heal her and restore her to full health. Father, we don't doubt your ability. We don't doubt your nature or your, or your, we don't, don't doubt your character. But we humbly and submissively yet audaciously ask you to heal that little girl. And Father, in our own lives, Lord, may we come to you who was stands so willing and ready to come to our aid as we humbly and submissively by faith bring our request to you and we we do it and you do it not only for our good but for your glory father i pray that we would not take offense at you uh, we would not that Christ would not be a stumbling block to us, but that we, um, we submit ourselves to Him and to His will. So Lord, this is, uh, this is important for us to, to, to know and to, and to grasp and to practice. Oh God, may we come to You by faith and faith alone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?